This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who's been wondering if I should give myself a Mass Effect 3 Jack haircut. <laughs> Do it! And I'm Bravada, the show's enabler. Sure. Anyway, so I forgot everything I know. <laughs> we were introduced. Jack haircut. Oh, yeah, the Jack haircut. Uh, Pipe Girl is also a big enabler. She keeps telling me to do it all the time, and I'm like, hmm, I really, really should. But today, we are not talking to Mass Effect Jack or Pipe Girl. We are talking to Ben Sabin, who previously worked at Fusebox on Love Island the Game and is now a freelance narrative designer. He lives in England, and he has a particular interest in male bisexuality represented in video games and analyzes that for conferences. And we dove a lot into bisexuality during this talk. It was very amazing because there's not a lot of bi representation in video games, surprisingly, especially but- male bisexuality. Mm-hmm. But that's not the only thing that we talk about because we also talk about the fact that being bi isn't the only thing that you should have to talk about. There's so mm-hmm. much more to a character than just their sexuality. But we talk about character creation, designing plot lines, and how to follow them through all the different decisions, and how Jen made a big mistake about choosing literally the only game that is a sequel. And so that's why I was really confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ben also has amazing hair. Which you guys won't get to see, unfortunately, but you can always go to his Twitter and he has glorious photos. Very handsome. I love the hair and the voice Mm -hmm. and the accent and the content and the everything. I think I might have a crush. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we hope that everyone gets a crush on Ben as you listen to this episode. Excellent. Then we have everything we need to open the pod. Um, hi, uh, so thank you for um, inviting me on. This is uh, it's really cool. My name's Ben Sabin. I am a freelance narrative designer. I've been working in games now for uh, four four years. Feels longer, probably is. Um, what is time? 
and yeah, I've, I've done. I've mostly been focused on um, interactive visual novels. That's mostly where like uh, my sort of work has come from. Ever increasingly, um, and in on a romantic level, like I've done a lot of dating sims, as it were, which vary in scale of like what's the term eroticism. Mm-hmm. So some of them are very mild, very tame, and some of them you could basically label as porn. <laughs> so. No, that's great. So yeah, that's that's me. I started playing the Love Island game mm. when I realized that I probably shouldn't start with like season three. I should probably start with season one. <laughs> there's no, there's no, there's no like plot, <laughs> like because there is, but like each season is its own capsule. Mm. So. Um, if you wanted the one where we went in at the hardest level of let's try and make it, we, we we kind of went in with season two being like, let's just make the most bizarrely complex interactive piece of fiction that you can play on your phone. And I think we did achieve that. Um, it was, we came out of that going, never again. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, like, so I'd, I'd say start at season two if you want like a lot of complexity and, 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 and uh, deviations in, in branching and stuff. Mm, all right. I think I started with the boat one, so maybe I'll. Go oh yeah, back that's and... actually okay. So when I said there's the plot, that actually is a sequel. <laughs> like that will make no sense to you. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what made you decide to switch more from narrative design, just in general, to focusing more on romantic stories? Because obviously that's our bread and butter. <laughs> so. Uh, well, I mean, it's kind of like how I basically got into the industry. Like, well, I got into the industry as a marketeer, like that. So that's how I started out. And then after about a year of doing that, I was like, well, I'm in the industry I want to be in now, but I'm not doing what I want to do. And um, what I want to do is narrative design. So yeah, I, I I left the studio I was at, went sort of freelance temporarily, um, which is good because at that point I wasn't ready to be a freelancer. In fact, <laughs> so uh, luckily I wasn't freelance for very long. Uh, and I never saw myself as getting in with like dating sims or anything like that. Like I, I was very much, you know, right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and get into the AAA studios. I'm gonna try and write the big fighting games, uh, like first-person shooters, you know, all that stuff. And you know, I applied to Fusebox, which was my old studio. I applied to them, just sort of like out of the blue. Like I was doing, you know, a bit of a scattergun approach, uh, and they were the only ones that came back to me. And I was, it basically was a really fortunate thing of like my old manager reached out to me being like, hey, I just played the Twine game you sent me. Um, yeah, I really like it. Do you want to have an interview? And so, and because it was such a small studio when I joined, it was that more kind of like free flow hiring experience where, you know, there's not a really like regimented and organized thing. It was kind of like do an interview, mm-hmm. do a test, hear back kind of thing, which was lovely. Uh, and that's how I got in. And, and, you know, so I kind of joked initially. I was like, oh, wow, I can't believe I yeah. Like, of course, my first gig is writing bloody... Love Island, <laughs> and, I, and it took me a while for me to really like wrap wrap my head around um, that that was my job. Um, but also, the more I did it, the more I actually started to kind of understand the importance of that job in a way. Like I, I don't want to sound like I'm grandiosing myself. We'll talk about it more later. But like, yeah, like the more I did it, the more I was like, wait, actually, this this needs to be done well. Yeah, agreed. It's- I mean, there's so many different levels to romance, and then there's, you know, there's the aromantic side of it, so the platonic friendships that need to be built into games. There's the inclusivity of the LGBTQIA community that needs to be a part of it. And then, of course, there are the straight romances that also Mm -hmm. need to be a part of video gaming. 
so yeah 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 and i mean that was an interesting challenge because we like that studio especially at its peak when we had um like our full writing team and the studio itself must have been 40 to 50 percent lgbtq plus stuff so like we were a heavily gay <laughs> studio and we were essentially making a very heteronormative game um, because I don't know if you actually watched the show, but like the show is very heteronormative. Like mm-hmm. it's it's boys versus girls and a lot of the challenge, you know, and like there's no, there was like one bisexual storyline way, way back kind of thing uh, between two women, but it didn't really go anywhere. So that was a challenge for us in the sense that we, you know, when you're a game developer, you want to incorporate your own values and your own outlooks on life, you know, like, I always, I've never said like, oh, my games are apolitical or whatever, because they're not, because everything's political, right? Like everything is uh, taking a stance, like inaction and, and, and saying, oh, no, I don't, I, like this game has no politics. That is inherently its own political stance, right? So I, we, we worked really hard to make sure that we could include uh, at the most basic level, some kind of bisexual storyline, some kind of like bi-awareness. Yeah, that was um, something that kept popping up when I was Googling you was just bisexual awareness and romance in video games. And I found this old Twitter thread from you oh, about Arjun and Elijah. I think oh, from, what, yeah. from season two. Yeah. And I, like, I've never played the Love Island game. And that was something I learned when we interviewed Heidi, how she couldn't say enough good things about Love Island because she's very strongly opinionated for a good reason about like the ethical quandaries you can get into with romance yeah. games that start to charge for affection, et cetera. And she loves Love Island. And that was when I started looking into it because I had never heard of it. And yeah. like for me, I'm all my video game romance experiences come from like those big RPGs, like Bioware mainly. Yes. Um, who's, well, they're like the, uh, the only real studio that constantly you know push out content, especially queer content. Mm-hmm. Um so it's like whenever they drop something, you're like, yes, give me that. Mm, yeah. <laughs> give me that opportunity. Yeah. Do you think, did, did they ever inspire you to add a little bit of that for Love Island? 100%. So you mentioned Arjun and Elijah already. Like, I was going to mention them as well because um, Arjun is basically my homage to Dorian. He... We love Dorian here. <laughs> I, so Dorian was my first. Um, so Dorian has a very, very special place in my heart. He's a very significant character for me because he was my first, like, video game boyfriend so basically when i started playing inquisition i was just coming to terms with my own bisexuality in the sense that you know i i had the classic thing of i grew up in a very straight conservative area where it's okay to be gay so long as you're not kind Mm -hmm. of attitude like on the surface level they're like yeah gays are fine um but like as soon as someone was out they're like oh and you know, bisexuality as a term wasn't really a thing. Like, I mean, I grew up in like the nineties, early noughts, right? But still, even then, like, bisexuality as a, as a as a concept was out there, but it was to be mocked and it was to be aware of, right? It was like, oh, those tricksy bisexuals, and 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 there was no storyline really between bisexual men either. It was only the only storyline was all between women. So I grew up very much repressing that side of myself. You know, if I if I got a crush on a, on a schoolmate who was a guy, I immediately like put it in a box and you know, just like, nope, doesn't exist, doesn't you know, not real. But then after that, like around actually kind of around the same time I started working with Fusebox was when I started having my kind of like bisexual awakening as it were. And 
So I was coming to terms with a few things um, like past trauma, childhood trauma, which again, I've sort of had reflected in Dorian. Like he and I have quite similar experiences in some ways. So it was really weird. But I'm very much drawn to those kind of characters, whether they're, you know, men, women, uh, non-binary people, like whatever, like anyone who's like super flamboyant, super extra, you know, has that cheeky side to them. Like that's, yeah, that's my whole vibe. And I write a lot of those characters because I just love it so much. Um, So I, yeah, I immediately like fell for him. What he allowed me to do was actually to kind of, and this is a kind of learning from me was that he allowed me a safe space to explore my sexuality especially as like by that point i was actually married so i've got you know i've got um a wife and everything uh but i hadn't really come to terms with my bisexuality before i met her and she actually was really good at helping me kind of come through it as well but what that did mean was i wasn't really able to experience it in a in a in a a real life scenario as it were right um you know that kind of age-old struggle kind of thing but through video games, through like experiences with Dorian, through playing other dating sims like Dream Daddy and all that jazz, I've been allowed to kind of better understand myself and understand what I find attractive. Um, because when you don't have the opportunity to do that uh, in your, your more formative years or whatever, like it's, it's really tricky. It messes you up. That's something I didn't even consider until we started this podcast and we both got Heidi's book digital love and mm. in there they um the different authors like they repeatedly make the point that video games are a safe way to experiment with your sexuality and they're very very important developmentally like even more so now that they're becoming more realistic and more prevalent yeah. and mainstream and i am hopeful for the future because when i was growing up very similar to you like i'm a 90s kid you know i think when I was in school, bi wasn't even the word. They just called anybody, like boys especially, metrosexual. Yeah. I mean, I haven't heard that term. Did you ever hear oh, that? Yeah. I, think I haven't that heard was, that since I was in school. I think what happened there was it was the first Queer Eye, I think, coined it or you know, oh, were using gosh. it. And because of that, like South Park then picked it up and they had a whole episode on metrosexuality and had all like these feminine men. You know, all the all the manly men of South Park turned really feminine and like cared about their skin, cared about their shoes, and that was kind of seen as a negative thing because they were no longer men. And so I think that's where that whole oh, you're such a metrosexual thing came from. That was never like what I grew up with. We didn't really have the metrosexual. Mm-hmm. So you were just gay, and yeah. gay as a pejorative thing as well, right? Like, it, 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 like I don't know how much of it was slang in America, but in the UK and like Australia and that, and then uh, and it's still a thing now. You know, you're like, oh, that's so gay. Oh yeah, that's uh, definitely. Oh, that was. Yeah. That was yeah, there, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, even myself, I because I grew up like with that. I only stopped myself in like you know six or so years ago, uh, and it's again kind of like my wife pointed out to me. She's like, "Do you realize you're doing this?" And I was like, "No," because it's so ingrained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was I was just thinking about that. I I said that too growing up, and also mm-hmm. a common thing when anyone was talking about anyone by, they were like, "No, you can't be by. You have to prefer one or the other." Like, first of all, binary, and then also, you actually aren't bi. You're either gay or straight. Yeah. And that was huge when I was growing up. But with video games, and I remember, that's I think that's why Mass Effect and Dragon Age are both always someone's like, this was the game that did it for me because yep. it came at the right time, right when that culture shift was starting, or right before it did, because some yep. of them were, you know, 2007, 2009. And then now, hopefully, <laughs> we're getting away from that. 
So, I mean, hopefully it just gets even better, but I saw the same Twitter thread that you highlighted how you were just dropping little hints. Like it wasn't even a full on romance between Arjun and Elijah necessarily. And just that for me too, whenever I see characters where you can tell there's chemistry, you're just like, okay, I ship them. I ship them so hard. Please let them (laughs) be together. Please let them be happy. And I think that's something that a lot of people, it seems anyway, that a lot of people higher up in media companies don't understand very well is that we don't Mm -hmm. want just sex. Mm-hmm. We don't need that. Like we want these cute little moments like cuddling yeah. and just flirty remarks. That's all we really need to be satisfied with a love relationship. You know, it doesn't yeah. have to be super sexy all the time. I think part of that, what, why that happened with the, the, the subtle hints and stuff was partly for censorship reasons. Uh, I couldn't, because again of the format of the show, they didn't have, like there wasn't this precedent. You couldn't do this. So I couldn't, outrightly say when I was writing these characters, by the way, these two guys are bi. Um, but what I could do instead was just heavily imply it. <laughs> and, uh, and I later was able to confirm it when we had another follow-up piece of content that sort of happened outside the villa. So because of that, the rules of the show didn't really apply. So I was able, And it was just like, it was just a, a people are, they're not in the scene, um, but people are talking about them and they're like, oh, did you see Elijah and uh, Arjun's Instagram? They make such a cute couple because like there was such a, among the fans anyway they'd all picked up on the hints as you say like as soon as you see that little bit of chemistry you're like yes i've shipped them they're all like they're having you know they're adopting so many babies right now <laughs> 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 um so i i wanted to to do it justice i you know i wanted to be like no this wasn't just me like oh yeah like, like, we're just teasing you with the idea that we have some queer content here i was like no no i'm confirming that they are a couple Let's just get that that, that clear. They are together. (laughs) How do you go about crafting that kind of chemistry? Like, what's your process in that? I'm just, I don't know how you would approach that. It's, you do it so well, (laughs) clearly. Everyone very much fangirled over all of them. Uh, I mean, I can't take all the credit because obviously, like, there's a whole, there was a whole writing team for the, like, to chuck in a a character and then it kind of gets molded and shifted. I have, I'm lucky enough that some characters haven't had that treatment. Like, when I've, when I've pitched them, like, in season three, there's a character called Ty, who is this New Zealand Polynesian, uh, like, rugby player kind of guy, right? But again, very big personality, very friendly, very, like, he's a joker character right uh and i kind of conceptualized him and pitched it to the team and there were like no no edits no no marks and he became like a big fan favorite so the, when that does happen I'm, I'm always really chuffed um but as for the chemistry it's 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 an organic process really um uh, like with the arjun and elijah thing because i concepted both those characters i kind of had it in my head how they would be if that makes sense like how they would act and how they and it just means when you're writing, it's a little bit easier. Like if you're writing someone else's character, which you know now I'm very much used to, but back then I was still learning and honing my craft. I found it a lot more harder to do unless I something with them clicked with me. But with Arjun and Elijah, it's that thing of I put them in a scene together, and the way I kind of describe it when I'm writing characters, when I'm writing scenes, is I just throw the characters in the scene and see what happens. That's probably a bit of a waffly answer, and like doesn't for anyone who doesn't write, probably doesn't really help. But it's it's the honest truth. That's how I work. I just I let the characters bounce off one another, and that's, I guess, how the chemistry is formed. Because if characters don't have good chemistry, then they're not going to bounce off each other when I write them. So I generally try to avoid putting them in a scene together. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Arjun and Elijah, I just, I think from my own 
amusement and, and, and gratification. I started putting out these little flirty comments. You know, if one entered the room, I made sure they gave each other a big hug. And then I put like some more comedic moments, like where uh, there's a scene where you enter the bedroom and like uh, Arjun's in bed and you're like, oh, hey. And then like Elijah pops up from behind him, like, like spooning casually. But it's like a friendly spoon because it's again, it's 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 a it's a funny moment, but it actually holds uh, more significant meaning if you if you want to read into it. But also just the fact that two men can casually spoon and it's totally okay. The definition of non-toxic masculinity. Yeah. Again, because of my upbringing, like, there was a lot of toxic masculinity around me. And, you know, obviously I'm very much against it. It, it, it kind of what held me back for a long time because I was trying to be this guy that I just wasn't. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I can be quite effeminate. Uh, I can also be quite masculine like you know but like but my default is a more kind of like campy flamboyant guy right i never want to like create like the thing we really worked hard on with that team was we wanted the place to feel like a safe space for the players um who were not all women you know we had a, a fair portion of them were men as well um so we wanted to make sure that they felt comfortable we always wanted to make sure that you know it's not like you find Arjun and Elijah spooning and hugging, whatever, and then another guy comes in and is like, oh, well, a bunch of pufters or something like that, right? Because that would be outrageous. And one, no one would actually do that in the, in the context of the show and stuff. Um, they might find it a bit weird and they might talk about it, but they wouldn't, like, be hostile because that's not what it's about. But two, what you've then done is you've kind of put the player on a defensive mode where you've, you potentially have triggered them a bit. They've come into this experience thinking, ah, You've kind of massaged it in that this is a safe space, this is a, a queer-friendly space, and then suddenly you're, you're you're bringing up harmful words or you're you're bringing up harmful actions, and now they can't trust the game and they can't trust the content as such. They're, they're going to be playing it a lot more cautiously potentially, and obviously that's not the vibe we wanted to give. That's not the kind of game it was. The safe yeah, spaces out there are so necessary for finding a safe space on the internet to be yourself for. Mm-hmm. And then finding games that make that allow you to explore every different aspect of your personality, you know, being able to choose your gender as a character. Do I want to play as a male? Do I want to play as a female? How do I want to experience the world today? I think yeah. it's so important. Yeah, I mean, there's been some cracking games around identity recently. Like, um, So I've got a big old crush on the studio Obsidian. I think they make great narrative games and i think they're very clever and i think they really think about these issues and i think my understanding as far as i can tell like from see from knowing some of the team and, and talking to them is i think they've they've got a good diverse team which is super important uh, you know I, I i it's one of those things that you, you you really feel like you shouldn't have to say that but you do a lot um but i think they've got a good diverse team of on all fronts on all not just the narrative but in their other departments and you know they've got quite a few queer narrative designers and whatnot from my understanding and it really shines through in so their their last like big big game that was released was like you know outer worlds and there's a really interesting thing there where the so it, it still has the binary of like male female although I'm trying to remember can you change your pronouns i can't remember off the top of my head so i don't want to say yes or no to that um but the, that doesn't lock anything out of you like you can so you can be a woman with a full-on beard uh and like so all the hairstyles and beard options are still present for you know both sexes so that kind of stuff i think is great and i think we're only going to hopefully see more of that as you have more uh, more diverse creators 
entering the space and feeling comfortable about entering the space. Because I think one thing that's really barred and blocked a lot of people for entering games is kind of like how the philosophy on safe spaces within a game, it applies obviously to the industry as well. You know, in the last 10 years with like the indie um, revolution and stuff, a lot more smaller studios were able to form. And those tend to be where you find the the better kind of, or the safer kind of spaces as a, as a creator, right? Um, because it tends to be some disenfranchised, marginalized people who got kind of bullied out of like the bigger studios, went away, made their own studios, and like their fundamental goal was, this has to be an accepting place to work. It has to be a nice place to work. Um, and so I think that also then bleeds into the games that they produce. Yeah, that was a bit of a tangent there, but I just thought let's go circle around. We are all about the tangents here. <laughs> I'm a very tangent person, so great. <laughs> I'm surprised we've stayed on topic this well, honestly. And now let's take a quick break so you can listen to the sponsors of today's episode. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And now it's time to thank our wonderful patrons. Without their support, we would have a lot harder of a time getting this podcast done. And we are very, very grateful for both their monetary support, of course, and also their companionship and friendship, both in the Discord and on our patron chats. First up, we got Commander Shanko, one of our newer patrons. Thank you so much. And of course, Toasty and Meiji Moose. And last but not least, Apollo. Been with us since the beginning. Thanks so much, patrons. And now we're back with our show. I hope you enjoyed the ad break. Uh, are you familiar with Mass Effect series? Have you played it? Oh, uh, huge fan. Okay, okay. good. Because <laughs> I saw that Jen added in this question. Um, yeah. Maybe we could get your... Do you want to ask it? Is your yeah. question. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I pulled this information. It was like, the news that Jacob Taylor was initially meant to be a love interest for male Shepard mm. came out shortly after news that Jack's pansexuality was cut because of heavy criticism. 
Jack mm. has voice lines in Mass Effect 2 that make her pansexuality very clear, and the physical romance scene between the bro and Jacob had been written and designed. So I wanted to talk a little bit about biracial in video games. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really tragic thing. Uh, it's that thing with, like, so obviously in, like, the Mass Effect games, the Dragon Age games, they've always had gay relationships to a point. And they've had bisexual characters as well, like uh, Morrigan and uh, Liliana, like, are famously both bisexual. Zevran. Uh, and Zevran, yeah. Um, in, in I believe he's in number two, or am I wrong? No, Zevran's in the first one. I don't, to my knowledge, Morgan, you can only romance her as male. Oh, but... maybe I've got that. Maybe I'm. <laughs> yeah, but Zevran, yes, that. is both male or female warden. He's like one scene in Dragon Age 2 and hasn't made an appearance since Zevran, but. I don't Liliana, know why. I've yes. kind of like, it's like the Mandela <laughs> effect. I've kind of erased i've erased <laughs> Severin from the first game i always think yeah. of him as number two no no he he better come back for four but yes mm. he was so far he's only been a companion in origins the first one mm. and he was uh, romanceable by anybody but they something that they did interesting with Severin specifically was they had him state that he did prefer women mm. but he was bi technically so I don't know if, I mean, that seemed to be like a touch that I guess you could read it as either a touch of realism where maybe somebody does have a preference yeah, or perhaps it's just a little bit more sensory. Like, oh, well, he's, he's a safe bi person because he still prefers the straight relationship. Yeah. I'm not sure because that game came out in 2009. So it's kind of that time where. I think it's, it's really hard to say one way or the other without knowing who, like the, the person who created Zevran and, and kind of wrote that line, what their intentions were. Um, because I've encountered this in my own career, like, where, like, so for my own part, like, I'm bi, but I would say I have a preference for women. I think partly that's because I've not, in real life, been able to experiment further. I think because I believe in sexuality and and gender and everything to be on a scale, I definitely feel there is a scale of attraction. Um, I find this type of person more attractive than this type of person. That's a thing. So it's, uh, it's the kind of line I see myself writing in earnest, going, like, to show that, to highlight that, look, just because like you are bi doesn't mean you have to find everyone equally attractive. That's just not the way it works. Mm-hmm. Um, however, obviously, it can also be interpreted as, yes, they're like, he's bi. But the only way we could slip it past the studio execs was to say, but only a bit. <laughs> kind of thing. It's, it's that and I've said. But we've had this where, um, you know, we've had pushback before because, yeah, you have characters who are bi. And then they act like human beings. And then the queer community doesn't like that. Because they're like, ah, you're showing bisexuals to be promiscuous. And they're like, no, it shouldn't be people. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, this is just what they do. Like, yeah, you can have someone who's bisexual and also be very much committed to one person. But like, that, especially in the, the difficulty with us was obviously we're writing Love Island. Now, the whole show premise is that you are somewhat promiscuous. You're meant to go and date lots of people. That is the premise. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this weird reaction when you actually have that with people are like, oh, you're, you're slut shaming them. And like, what? <laughs> no. So I can't win. <laughs> no, I, I was and just then you get comments that. like, then you get comments like, oh, they really should get some actual queer people to write this. Like, dick, I'm queer. <laughs> I am queer. <laughs> this is my reality. 
it's like yeah, so it's like a spectrum, right? It comes in all shapes, sizes, colors, yeah. variations. Bi- it, it, bisexuality is totally a not a spectrum disorder. No, it is a it is a spectrum. Or is it? Or is it? <laughs> oh, because like the seventy thirty split, or even the ninety ten, like ninety percent attracted to women, but ten percent attracted to men, or however the split goes mm-hmm. it's still your identity it's still a part of you yeah yeah i think i think there's a there's a there's a real i will come back to biracia but i got to this so i'm gonna talk about this there's a real um issue i find with queer content creators as in like you know, game devs artists of any kind right where there's so much more um, like lens focus on us to get it right 100 percent of the time that you know cis straight white dudes especially don't have that pressure at all and a good example of this was when kit fox released boyfriend dungeon boyfriend dungeon if you haven't played it is it's a great game it's a top-down isometric kind of like hack and slash dungeon crawler roguelite um with elements of a visual novel dating sin the whole idea is that you know your weapons are actually what you're dating because they're people that can morph into weapons really funky i love it also it's got a banging soundtrack and so yeah, it's got it's 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 a nice blend of, of these two genres I've not seen before. They have a disclaimer straight away at the beginning saying you know there might be some triggering topics here because one of the people in the game is is toxic as all hell, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a gaslighter that kind of thing. They put a trigger, they put a disclaimer saying there are these kind of themes. Here are the themes you will encounter, right? Then they got a whole lot of condemnation um, from from like the queer community and then from other people like uh, abuse survivors saying like ah that disclaimer wasn't enough you didn't cover everything I found this I found that blah 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 and like they got so much hate it kind of got snowboard as it always does right it starts in like a little Twitter thread and then before you know it people are calling for the studio to be closed down kind of crap and it's like what like they did have a disclaimer. You still went into that knowing, hey, you're going to find some uncomfortable themes. The character itself, the character who's in question, you can call out on his bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I always did. It's like, what more do you want to do? You have to still have these stories, right? Like, yes, I get it. He is a, is, is a, uh, let me think, I think he's like a bi man himself, right? Because it kind of narratively has to be because you can play as, I think, I believe you can play as woman or man. Really bad at remembering things like that. But, and I guess people are like, oh, why did you make the bisexual guy a villain? It's like because they can be, mm-hmm. right? Like you can't you can't whitewash everyone. Every queer person cannot be like a white knight. They can't be this like amazing person because they're just people. Like, it's that thing of like they're just we're just people, right? We have the same things. We can be ourselves. We can be lovely people. We can you know we can be gaslighters. Like and 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 it was just this example of like people being like ah oh, bloody people not understanding the queer community. It's like. I'm pretty sure the whole team of Kit Fox are queer. Like they, they are writing their reality, and it, it does my head in because you're just like, come on, like at the, what you're effectively doing is shutting down these voices because you're making it so impossible for us to create stuff without this backlash. Always that again, a lot of other studios do not face. They are just sticking to the norm. So what you're effectively advocating for is, you know getting rid of these creators like you're, you're you're sort of silencing them because every time they put something out you've got like a bloody reddit thread of like doxing them kind of shit right why do we want to work in that condition no no it's it's uh, such a disservice because i don't think people who critique that way remember that first of all this is an art form and you can't 
censor art because that's an expression of how we view the world. And if you are looking at this through this reductionist standpoint of that person's whole entire identity is the fact that they are bi, they can't be anything else. And because Mm -hmm. it's a bi representation in media, they have to be perfect because we have to highlight perfection. And it's like, no, it's not the case. They are a human being. Your sexuality is merely one thing about you. And for most people, it's probably one of the least like amazing things about you it's one of the more boring parts (laughs) it's like that you shouldn't make that the focus and we should be striving to get to a point where our art reflects reality which is exactly that it is a multifaceted person who can be anything and their top bullet point of who they are as a person isn't that they are by like it's just a person they're being represented and you know, they're just another character in this story. We have to really be careful. It's kind of why we got on the subject, because you mentioned the, the Bioware um, um, like Zebran being like, oh, I'm, I'm attracted more to women, right? We have to be really careful to not jump to conclusions of like, right, that's definitely a censorship thing. Like, he's not really bi. They, you know, like, because I can see how that character, like how that line gets created. And without knowing and fully understanding the intentions of, of the person who wrote that line and what they were trying to communicate with that, I think it's 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 really dangerous to get on like a soapbox immediately and to cry everything because you don't know what it's that kind of classic thing of you've got to remember that games are made by people mm. and it's that classic thing of like um, you don't know what the creator is and what they're like you don't know what they've gone through you don't know their life experience you don't know what they're going through um, again like the Arjun Elijah thing was really um, cathartic to me because I was able it was essentially me expressing almost my own coming out kind of story right and um, like they will always hold a special place in my heart because like they were received so well and the relationship worked so well for the the rest of the context um, and like it's a nice thing of like luckily no one really had anything bad to say about it because uh, I think if they do I'd have just been like oh, I'm not making games anymore it sucks people are mean <laughs> you could be mean about anything else but not my boys <laughs> that's I, yeah I choose to think of it as Zevran just being a person like I mm-hmm. I've heard people make that critique which is why I brought it up but yeah I like when I see stuff like that it's for me it's very very important because it's like for you had you go you know you go back in time you play that game you hear Zevran say that maybe that would have been a spark and maybe you would have, you know, had your realization a little bit yeah. sooner because you had that representation. You could see yourself in that character, which is why these characters have to be multifaceted. And it's why it's so important uh, the, that the representation is out there. Because people, you know, you, you see the argument sometimes by by people where like, oh, why do we even need all this representation? It's like, because it doesn't exist. <laughs> like, I didn't realize I existed. You know, and, and because I had no role model figure. I had no character to look up to. Whereas, you know, you look at a straight person has so many different role models they can look up to. And yeah, and depending on what you want your role model for, you know, because I can't think of any other very example. If you want like an icon of strength to look up to and like, you know, that kind of the righteous goodwill, like you could look up at Superman, let's say, right? You've got that kind of black and white outlook on life. So you can still have that. But if you're looking for someone to explicitly say, hey, what you're feeling is natural and normal, and just part of life that needs to exist because like we don't grow up in a silo right you, like there's this thing of there's another thing of like oh entertainment should be entertainment for entertainment's sake you know don't, i don't care about 
the characters' love lives. I just want to see them fight. I just want to see, you know, why oh, why bring this into so like a James Bond film? Why make James Bond like well, partly the romance is always there. It's not done very well, but it's always there, <laughs> and you know it is an integral part of his character. And now just imagine if James Bond was by, and and not in. It's another thing of like, oh, you're just doing that for a gimmick's sake. You're just doing that, you know, to to make James Bond woke. Well, firstly, James Bond's never going to be woke. But also, like, no. Because just imagine, like, if you had an iconic figure like that and you said they were now bisexual uh, uh, and, like, or you just showed them out, suddenly, yeah, if it doesn't affect you, like, if you're not bi and you watch it, like, then cool. You just watch it. You still have a good time. You still see him shoot lots of people in the face. But if you are struggling with identity or if you don't understand, if you, like me, had no concept that bisexuality was even a thing, suddenly... James Bond's getting off with another guy. Oh my god, I can do that? <laughs> and still be, like, with women? What? I think the first big uh, bi-representation that I saw in media for me was Xena. Because she mm. had several relationships with men, but then she also had this core relationship with Gabrielle, and then yeah. it eventually progressed to something where they had to keep it hidden, but that they were fully together. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, so now we're going to go back, because now it can go into the Bi-Erasia. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's that thing of, like, you see a lot, and it was very much early on adopted that, that women could be bi. And I think that largely came out of the male gaze, mm-hmm. um, because you're like, Xena, warrior princess, she's hot, she's, her armor is a swimsuit at times, and now she's getting off with this woman. Great. And I don't want to, like, make that diminutive but i feel like that's where it kind of originates from and then what you see is it progresses beyond that like you have like i think i'm pretty sure the actress herself is very like keen on the fact that she had a like a really early on bisexual relationship and you know it evolves and people suddenly and it becomes more of a thing where like ah no that's that was one that was entertaining but two it was it made everything more profound in a way like you you had like had that duality of like i've got to keep this secret i've got to like blah 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 but so so yeah so then you started seeing in like I like like the early noughts a lot more like bisexual women characters but still there were no men mm-hmm. and I think a big part of that is because again it's 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 homophobia right mm-hmm. um, women can be bisexual that's now allowed but if a man has sex with another man or even just like is romantically interested in another man he's gay and that's still bad like again they're accepted so long as you're not one and so. There's, there, there became this thing where you then started seeing, from games like Bioware, you started seeing something called player sexual. Do you know that term? No. So player sexual is where a character expresses no sexual or romantic interest with anyone else but the player. And it wholeheartedly applies to especially bi men. So Kaiden Nalenko is a great example of this. Uh, where he isn't interested you in, in you at all uh like from a romantic point but then i believe it's in like the third game he's like oh shepherd hey uh just want to say you know i'm really into you man like i'm not gay but if i was it's for you it's, it's a really kind of awkward clunky transitioning of like i feel it for you man and but if you're not interested in him like he he's not attracted to men and you know, there is that cliche of like, oh, I'm straight, but that this one person could, could I would do it for, right? But then a more egregious example is Anders 
from Dragon Age 2, where Anders only reveals his bisexuality if the player's a guy. Otherwise, if the player's a woman, the ex-boyfriend that he talks about, he just refers to as a friend. So that is like the clearest example of Biraja, because like it shouldn't matter what the player plays as. Like it shouldn't matter that, you know, just because you're a guy, he's like, oh, I have oh, by the way, I'm bi. You know, the fact that if you're playing as a woman, he's like, I'm straight. You know, it completely gets rid of his that 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 is where it's literally been slapped on. And it's so egregious. It's so like, ugh. Uh yeah. I don't know how to finish that point. <laughs> I did not know about the dialogue uh, difference with Anders. I don't have that much experience with Dragon Age 2. I've only played as a female hawk. So, because if I have a choice, I'm going to play as a woman. But, yeah, so I didn't know that either. And I also did not. Well, I found it out when I was... Because I did a talk about bisexuality in games and why why representation matters. And I I found it out in my research. And I was kind of shocked. Because I remember Anders and I played as a man. But I wasn't... Again, at the time I played, I wasn't interested in men or at least i didn't think i was so i didn't try it with him uh, and i don't remember the dialogue but yes i did see this as an example of like oh shit really like he does that and uh, another player sector example while i'm on that is is all the odyssey romances because like in odyssey you've got this thing where you know you can play as a man or a woman and assassin's creed Odyssey, just probably should clarify they didn't want to like code it that you know oh, okay you're playing as the man so you can only sleep with the women you're playing as a woman you can only sleep with the men they they wanted it to be a big blank slate and so you can just leave with whoever you want. Great. All those characters are now player sexual, though. They are not inherently bisexual people. Mm-hmm. Um, they are Their sexuality only exists in the realm of the player. And you are a blank slate. Uh, it's kind of like if you were a, f- a fridge filled with meat, they're attracted to you. <laughs> there's, no, there's, no dis- there's no discernment there. And what it is, is that system works nicely in some ways because it's, you live now in this kind of almost fantasy-esque world where no one cares about sexuality. No one cares about your, who you are, whatever. It's, it's almost like a utopian kind of concept. Where it kind of falls flat a bit is that, well, it, it's an ideal, but it's also not a world we live in. And you're kind of, sometimes for the sake of, of, of narrative uh, ease, and also because you, that's not the story you want to tell, that's fine. We did it with Love Island. But what we are sort of lacking is that more complex human quality of actual bisexual people where like no like they they should still exist in in that world as bisexual it should still be a thing that is core to their identity i always say like with clients i've worked with recently on on some things you know when you're when you're concepting your character when you're making the characters up write down everything about them now and so for example one of the characters they were concepting you know he is canonically bi Mm-hmm. I don't know if it'll ever be mentioned, but like because there is the potential for it to be mentioned, it needs to be in the it, like it needs to be in his character sheet as he's bisexual. Because otherwise, we end up with an Anders thing where you kind of slap it on last minute and and you know hope people don't notice. But it it doesn't come across. You'll see it in like the narrative. It doesn't come across quite right if you do it that way. Yeah, that was something we wanted to talk about too. Is like. How do you, when you have a character, or not a character, when you have a game like Odyssey where just everyone's on the table, you can just choose who you want to romance, but they don't feel like real people because they don't have their own preferences or sexuality. And then how do you, because I feel like studios do that to say like, look, we have 
inclusivity because you can yeah. romance anyone. But it's like it's not really though because they are just gonna have sex with you, like you said. But how do you see studios navigating pandering versus like authentic romances that are inclusive? Yeah, I mean, again, it it does largely depend on what game are you making. So for like Odyssey, I think it's fine. Like I had fun, right? Like because you get into some weird situations where you know you give like this eighty-year-old woman the night of her life <laughs> as either a man or woman just because her husband can't anymore. <laughs> it's just like, and it's that kind of thing you're playing, it going, yeah, all right, let's do this. And like Odyssey has a lot of romance in it, but it's not a romance game. I would say like it's you know you don't go on dates with people. You don't you know it's 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 not trying to tell that story. So having this system where yeah, you are a bit of a, a walking fridge filled with meat who's got all the sex appeal of that, but still gets around. Like, that that's okay. I think, though, it if you want to tie it more in with a love story. So if we look at something like The Witcher, where it has several love stories kind of in parallel, right? So, like, you're, mm-hmm. yeah, you've got, a, you've got your actual Witcher jobs to do. You've got the main plot to follow. But there's a core current underlining it. Uh, any of the Bioware games, also the same. So if you're making a game like that, I think it's about really making sure that, again, the actual characters are authentic. So when you're concepting them, when you're putting them down, you're saying, this person is bisexual, this person is pansexual. Like the Jack example, right? She was concepted as pan. She should just remain pan. That sounds really dumb when I say it like that. But (laughs) what I mean is, like, you don't ever just slap a label on and call it quits. Ideally, you have someone in the team who is by or you know whatever whatever subsection they are the character is who can kind of give insight as they are working on it uh, but you know you can't ever rely on that one person because you know my experience as a bi man is very different from another bi man's and as I say some things that I think are fine to put in a script others find uh, derogative so to come back to the point I think it really just as long as you're authentic as long as you actually just make them out to be a normal person that's when I think it really shines. That's why I think Dorian and Iron Ball in particular, or as, uh, sorry, I should just say Iron Ball as a character. That's why Iron Ball works really well because mm-hmm. Kunari, kind of like famously, all Pan <laughs> and Polly, which is fun, but he's very open about it. You know, you can romance him as a woman, but if you don't, that's fine. He's going to go off with Dorian, the far superior love interest anyway. And that, so I think he's a great example of how you keep incorporating the fact that, yeah, this guy's pan, and you know he has a good time with it. Uh, so yeah, follow the Iron Ball example. <laughs> Definitely, on my next Inquisition run, it is going to be an Iron Ball run, just because I want to ride the ball. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, see. My character in Inquisition was also a massive Kunari, and so I mean, either way, Dorian was getting the ball. Um, but like, but. I was tempted by Iron Ball just because I loved the image of these two incredibly meaty guys just pounding away at each other. All right. That, there we go. That solidified what my character is going to be. I'm going to (laughs) go. Do I want to go with a male Kunari or a female Kunari? Either way. As long as they both have horns, I'm pretty sure the women have horns. They do, yeah. I I think Iron Ball is a good representation, too, because I. I romance soulless because I'm stupid, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I watched the video of Iron Bull's romance because my best friend, she's in love with him. And I did not know that he was also a representation of like 
a healthy BDSM relationship yeah. and you have a safe word with him. And I was like, that is something I have never seen in, in a mainstream video game, you know? Yeah. Well, good job, Bioware. I think they did a good job on that. Well, and to another point about my example, my, my whole point about, you know, keep it authentic is that the other thing you do is the, the, the sexuality is not the whole, right? So I am bull. You know, he's the head of this mercenary company. He's got, like, so much other stuff to think about other than sex. And, I mean, it's slightly different because, like, the Konari's whole belief system around sex, like, they, they work out and then they go to the orgy room and they have fun time and they go back and they do more working out. So they, they fundamentally have a different relationship with sex anyway. But it's this thing of, like, you know, he has a lot more emotional and character depth than just, oh, I'm a big bi guy. He has like a lot of internal conflict to do with his homeland versus like the bet what's good for you and the Inquisition, and you know, and obviously he's he's very he's in love with his whole company. He acts like this big hard ass, but actually he's a big softy, and you know he'll he'll buy them nice things to you know if he feels bad or like if if something goes wrong, he it really tears him up. So it's another classic thing of like ah, you've written a, a, a somewhat of a bi story, and you haven't just made it about being bi at all. You know, again, it's very natural for him. Like he, I think if you tried to talk to Ironball about sexuality and like where he sits on the scale, he'd be like, "What the hell are you talking about?" <laughs> I just, I just like people. Like I just find this person sexy, so I like to have sex with them. They would like to have sex with me too. And yeah, like I enjoy kinky sex. I want to have the BDSM stuff. Like, but like you have to do it safely and blah 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 blah. And I think yeah. So I think honestly, like if you want, if you want sort of like tips and hints as to how you do a good representative character. Ironball is a great example for that. Yeah, plus his whole company is full of inclusivity as well. Because like, yeah. I think, gosh, I can't remember his name, but the yeah. like his the second trans. lieutenant, yeah, is a trans character, and I can't yeah. even think of another trans character in a game. No, so that and th that game came out in twenty fourteen, so that again, was so far advanced for really, game really well done character. Like the whole way that storyline came out, and then. I think I think there's a line I don't want to misquote it, but I will because I'm bad at remembering lines. I think there's a line where he's talking about like how you know this place like Iron Ball's the only person who accepted him as a man, and then Iron Ball turns around and is like because you are a man. Like again, it's oh. that thing of Iron Ball just being like, well, you've told me this, so clearly that's what you are. And it, yeah, just just like he he's a character who lives in a in a very non-inclusive world, obviously. And, and a very hard reality, but he's just so like, there are so many other important things we need to be talking about right now. It doesn't matter about your sexuality. It doesn't matter about your gender. Like, can you fight? Can you help me make money? Great. Yeah. I'm just very much on the iron ball, like, <laughs> like circle jerk. I don't know. <laughs> That's the phrase that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. I have a hard time balancing showing that these characters are you know here to do a job but also that these characters ha are this way that way or the other just so that there's representation it's not just like here is the the um token bi character they are very bi the biased and they're also your companion on this quest they're wearing a pink sequin suit and yeah. they will i mean i say this as a man who owns a pink sequin jacket or whatever <laughs> <laughs> they've got the pink synchroing suit and they are dancing around there's rainbows coming out of their butt you know like this is yay we've won we have solved all homophobia 
That's it. Job's done, everyone. We can go Time home now. Pack up. Yeah. <laughs> They'll never come back. They're not in the sequel. Or if they are, you, you can't romance them. But they're in this one game. Mm-hmm. Love it. It's <laughs> <laughs> so true. I'm so annoyed. I was watching. There was a. I'm completely off socket. I don't care. I was watching. The, there was a. There was a RuPaul episode where one of the judges had this like sparkly, um, formal like dinner jacket, mm. um, and it looked gorgeous. And I cannot find it for the love of me. Like, well, Ooh. I can, but they cost like two grand. Oh. But like everything else, just looks super cheap and tacky. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> That's us. Have you seen the new Queer Eye show? I've um, not watched the new set. Oh, I've seen the new show. I've not watched. The yeah. New show. So the just Karamo, my oh. husband. Every time we see one of one of his like five hundred bomber jackets, uh-huh. we're like, "Where did he get that? We need it!" Like it looks so. We both equally love his bomber jackets, and I can never find them. I keep finding references to how he created his own bomber jacket line, but I can't see where to buy them. Yeah. So I'm like, I guess we'll just never know. But actually, I think it's not uh, perfect. Just as we touched upon Queer Eye, I think that's another good example of, like, they are five very different um, gay men. Uh, although, sorry, I think um, Jonathan's non-binary now. But if, So, if you look at, like, Anthony, he actually doesn't like the very camp. Like, he doesn't, he, he, I think he gets, like, I think in one of the episodes, he actually talks about how he finds it a little bit embarrassing, like, when people are super camp around him. So he's very much, like, this kind of, like, masculine gay guy. And... I think it's a real interesting, outside of like how great the show is and outside of how cool they all are and I wish I could just hang out with them all for a day, I think it's a really interesting almost like case study as a writer for myself to look at them and say like, here's how all these, like here's a great like smorgasbord of like, look, this stereotype is, is rubbish, right? Like you can't, because everyone's an individual, you can't really box them into categories of gay, straight, bi, whatever. Obviously we do, but these... But, like, within that, everyone has their own personality because, again, everyone's a person. We are all different. Yeah, just thought I'd mention that as I kind of was thinking about it. I mean, I watched the original Queer Eye when I was mm. much younger, and that show was completely different. I love where they've taken the new one, and yeah. I often wonder because they are all so different, and they have so. I love when they open up about their pasts, too, because I think it's really important to show. I grew up this way. I grew up that way. I've, yeah. I mean, like, Karamo has a kid. He, w- he was mm-hmm. with women before. So it's like they all arrived at this location that might be labeled the same because they're gay men, but they're so vastly different in many ways. And they all work so well together and like a great ensemble cast, basically. Like, as you're saying, for a writer, like, if they could just recreate people who can recreate that kind of chemistry between different people coming together to do something. That's what makes a great game and a great well, story, just in general. And I think to go back to like what we were trying to achieve with Love Island, like there was definitely a thing of we wanted to make sure because we knew because mobile games have a lot of data, as you're probably not surprised. We we knew pretty solidly like our demographic of players. Um, so we knew, even though it was like I think an 18 plus game, uh, we knew we had like 14, 15 year old girls playing it a lot. And because of that, we kind of felt like it was our responsibility to make sure we put a lot of positive messaging in there. And by that, I mean, like, in non-quote-unquote preachy ways, we had, like, there was a... Some of the characters were talking about sexting, and one of the characters revealed that she uh, had a bad time with it. Like, she was a young schoolgirl, you know, she sexted someone who was also, like, her age, and then, obviously, it got out. And because that's, you know, so we're kind of like trying, we were trying to put in this positive messaging of like, hey, just be careful. <laughs> and also, uh, we've all been there. We've all been teenagers. It sucks. 
uh, and everything is horrible and everything's hard and life is terrible, but like it gets better. Uh, and we also, we always consent, uh, consent gated that kind of content. We never just like threw it at players. We never like, here's a traumatic story. Uh, cause obviously that's deeply triggering. Um, so we always said like, Hey, I'm going to talk about this now. Like, are we all comfortable with that? We then realized that beyond just that, just having characters with such different backstories who have come at life in a different way is important to show that that's totally normal and that happens. You can't, you don't, you don't just like, not everyone who's say like gay or bi or whatever just wakes up one morning and goes right bye now, um, bye. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just like yeah gets on their high horse and like rides off into the sunset. So, like yes, we had in season three. So as I say, I had like my character Ty, who is a big bi teddy bear. You know, he's this very loud and open. Like he talks by his ex boyfriends. He talks about this, whatever. And then we had another character called Kieran who is um, like this soft, lovable Irish teddy bear who is bi, but has only recently kind of realized that he is. So he and Ty canonically, if you don't get with either of them, again, get together and like have this beautiful relationship or not. But Kieran, because he's already quite softly spoken, he's quite a shy guy, you know, he kind of needs someone like Ty to come in and, and take the reins, as it were. Like, Ty is the much more experienced partner in that relationship. He's been with men. He, you know, he's 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 had lots of... Well, he's also had more relationships in general. So he's able to kind of be, like, that guiding figure for Kieran as well, while he kind of, like, transitions into this new reality for himself. Um, and I think part of the reason we wanted that kind of... We didn't just want to buy men who were super comfortable in their skin about it. Because again, as we're saying, like that's not how it always works. And I thought it was important that we have like this male character who physically is is a big, beefy. Like, his body, he's a bouncer, so he's a big, beefy guy. Um, but he's actually very soft-spoken. He's very like shy, and you know he is inexperienced, and that comes through. And when he's talking, you know, it's it's very like ooh, oh, you know, kind of ah. Uh, uh, and he needs Ty to kind of help him get through it. Because yeah, it, as I say, it can come on at any age, right? As mm-hmm. I, I was. When I was mid twenties, twenty five, when I kind of light bulb moment myself saw that I was bi. But you know, it can. You read stories occasionally of like people in their seventies, eighties, even being like, "Oh, actually, this is why I've always felt like this." Yep. Oh, and I think it's so important to show that not every coming out story is the same, and there's so many different ways that it can happen, and then how that then progresses i mean yet there a coming out story is one part of it but then it's the Mm -hmm. continuing your story after it yeah well and i think especially as a bi person like there was a good quote i found somewhere from someone who was like i'm constantly coming out Mm. um because you know it's that it's that thing of we are not sending signals to other people right if you're if you're a woman and you're with another woman everyone assumes you're a lesbian if you are a lesbian fine like you know they've, they've got it but if you're a bi woman and like i've fallen for this i uh, had a i know a couple of women in the industry who have wives i naturally assumed they were gay turns out they were both bi so i fall for that as well it's it's a natural thing you know i, you know, I don't think you should feel bad for it but like i you know it just it is what it is so as a bi person you have that reality of this one's like oh you know i don't know why they would let's just say this one's like, oh you're gay you're like actually i'm bi it's that whole thing of like and I've got a wife, but if I tell people I'm bi, that like, but you've got a wife, I'm like, yes, right, because oh. I'm I'm bi. <laughs> mm. 
One of the things that I've noticed is that it's harder for people to wrap their heads around bisexuality when you are in a relationship. Being with a man or being with a woman, that means that you are, you're in a straight relationship or you're in a gay relationship right now. But your sexuality mm-hmm. doesn't go away based on who you're dating. If you're not dating anybody, if you are single, that doesn't mean that now you're not attracted to anybody. And then right. once you're in a relationship, then your sexuality attraction triggers back up. Yeah, it's like, it's like we're not, you know, just because you're not in a relationship right now doesn't mean you're necessarily aromantic. Right, right. <laughs> but but people don't see that. They don't think of it like that. And and so yeah. So I think there is, and it, it, it's kind of part of that bisexual fatigue. People sometimes talk about like, I'm as a bisexual person, I'm always exhausted. It's because like, you are constantly, you know, if you care enough too, you are constantly coming out. And it, it it's kind of that thing of no matter like even if you wore bells and whistles saying I'm bi, people just don't get it. As you say, they get confused by it. And it's a weird, it's one of those things I never understand why. <laughs> why is it such a hard concept? You know, you're, you're oh, okay, you, you like men and women and everyone in between and outside of that. Cool. Yes. That is it. <laughs> There's this wonderful content creator on Instagram named Jeffrey Marsh. And they are non-binary and they do a lot of non-binary talks. They record themselves like, uh, what are they called? Reels on Instagram. Mm, yes. And... One of them, because a lot of people will comment at them and be like, I don't get you. I don't understand mm-hmm. you. And they'll be like, you don't have to. Yeah. I'm just, this is me. This is who I am. You don't have to understand me to love me or just accept that I exist. Like, And I think that's true for bi people as well. You don't have to understand it. I don't know why people are always trying to be like, well, explain it to me. Like, how does that work? Who sleeps with who? Can you sleep with other people? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it doesn't matter. Like. Why do you need to understand versus just accept that people exist? They're allowed to have whatever relationship or sexuality that they have. If that's all that matters is that they exist. We all need to be more like Iron Ball. That's not the part of you that matters. <laughs> yeah, that's honestly true. Iron Ball is just like, that's what you tell me you are? All right. That's, that's you it. You that? I might not get it, but good for you. Yeah. Let's crack on with the job at hand. That's, I think, true acceptance. Is you, you really don't have to understand it to just be like, okay, sure. Yeah, and it's like it's that classic thing of if you want to understand it more, if you know, so like I'm pretty open. Like if people say to me, "Can you explain bisexuality?" Again, I've never had that because it's a weird thing. But it's one of those in this example, in this scenario, like I would, but you shouldn't have to, right? You should never feel pressured. Like I kind of put, I put myself on a bit of a pedestal, saying like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm a bi advocate," right? Because I realise there's, a, especially for men, there's a very big gap in in what content is actually out there for us. But like, if you're struggling to understand what bisexuality is, like, there's lots of resources. There's lots of books, there's lots of podcasts, there's lots of things that you can go away and do your own research. It's that classic thing of like, I don't want to explain my existence to you. Other people far more eloquent have done that. (laughs) Honestly, I think that's something that um, people on the internet who ask those kind of questions need to understand is that Google is free and (laughs) it's on you to educate yourself sometimes. Like, don't rely on other people to tell you what to do. Are you free? Or are you an adult? Yeah. Like adults know where to go for information. You have yeah. a phone, most likely. Open up Safari, open up Internet Explorer, whatever you use. <laughs> Type it in, your question will be answered. Although if you are on Internet Explorer, give it a few years. <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> what a, sorry. And Pornhub is not the main resource this. that you need to be using. Yeah, that's another <laughs> thing I think people really need to... If you go to... I don't know why they don't teach this. I'm not sure how it is in 
Britain, but in mm. America, I don't know why in primary schools we aren't teaching people how to differentiate between a good resource or a reference and mm. one that's just opinion or not a, not a reliable source of information. We get that in college, but we need it far before college to know, is this yeah. information I'm reading accurate or reliable or not? Yeah, critical thinking. I mean, it's it really is a subject that should be taught more widely available, like, just more widely and broadly. And sadly, no, in Britain, like I never received a critical thinking course, uh, even at uni, although I studied creative writing. So, you know, I wasn't already thinking very critically anyway. <laughs> but no, it's it's true. Like you need to be able to, especially now, oh God, this is such a, a different talk, but especially now, like the sheer amount of disinformation out there, thanks to like social media platforms and that, you're really seeing a lack of that ability to, to actually think for a moment right you see a headline on facebook if you if anyone still uses facebook that says like you know like ah vaccines cause frogs to turn gay for some reason like that's immediately there and they're like yes i wholeheartedly believe this and then you have like actual trained professionals filled with very fancy sounding degrees and like things going no like that's not happening here's like for some reason a thousand bloody studies on does vaccines turn frogs gay and people are like, no, I, no, I don't trust that because reasons. And that's like on a simple subject, right? Are, are vaccines sending frogs gay? No. <laughs> no. Now, get like a complex subject like gender and sexuality, you have no chance, right? There is literally no chance to try and stop people's like uh, misunderstandings and the misinformation <laughs> getting out there. Um, because even when... Like, I'm not an expert on the subject, right? I, don't, I never claim to be that because I'm not, not a sociologist. I've not done studies on bisexuality and whatnot. I'm just talking about my lived-in experience. But, like, it's it's that thing of, like, I don't know. I know a little bit more than others. And yet, when you actually get into the nuts and bolts of sexuality, you just kind of go, ah, <laughs> this is messy. I don't like this. I'm, I'm just going to leave it. <laughs> yep. 100% agree. I'm going to do a rapid topic switch just because I know yes. we're re close to time. But I 100% agree with you. I can't think about what people will believe nowadays without getting like an existential crisis. So <laughs> I just want to ask before, so we make sure we get it because we yep. always want to ask everyone who is your, if you have one favorite video game romance. Oh, I kind of already said it. It's Dorian. Dorian. Yeah. That's what <laughs> not, I thought. It's not a big surprise that one. <laughs> He's rather fabulous. I've always played female inquisitor, but I was always besties with Dorian. And if I ever play as a male, He's definitely my romance option as well. He's a great romance. I mean, so outside, I will, I will say that outside of the Dorian romance, I think the other ones I've really enjoyed, it's again Bioware. Actually, it's both Bioware. I think they're just the main ones that actually do good romances. <laughs> uh, Liliana um, in Dragon Age 1. I think she taught me a lot about how you how you do hard romance. Uh, so, so to talk more about my craft rather than just random Facebook memes, um, there's a thing of, I firmly believe that characters need agency, so not just the player. And by that I mean if you're making a dating sim, there should be conditions where the player has to meet the in order to actually progress, right? I don't like dating sims personally or, or romance experiences personally where it you say the obvious right thing and then you get a sex scene. Mm -hmm. I feel like again, it depends on the kind of game you're making, obviously. But I feel like it. it I don't. I never want to say lazy, but it, it comes across as kind of like poorly designed. It, it's kind of like, congrats. Obviously, you know, calling her 
her dress pretty now means it's on the floor, right? It's like, what? That's not how it works. And it feels kind of cheap. The experience feels cheap because of that, because you know it, you're going to get it. And it's unrealistic. What I prefer is when there's actually barriers and you have to navigate this person. You have to, again, it's authentic. You have to treat this person as a person. Um, and Liliana, I think, really had that because she was actually quite a hard person to romance. You had to meet very specific conditions at very specific points because she's almost event- effectively like a battle monk for her to actually fall for you. I know you did a, I didn't have a listen to it, but I know you did a whole episode on her. And so you know that, you know, she takes a lot to actually get through. But once you do, I found it incredibly rewarding. And I actually had a lovely, like, romance story with her as my angry little dwarf and, like, <laughs> the Origins character who, you know, ultimately goes and dies at the end of her and, like, leaves her heartbroken and stuff. But, like, I just thought it was such a good way of doing it. And I think subconsciously, because I wasn't thinking about being a writer or anything when I played that game, I wasn't. I think it buried itself deep in me and subconsciously because I remember always the kind of sense of accomplishment I felt. Now, like, now I look back on it on a more articulate level and a more like understanding level. I go, oh yeah, that from a narrative design point of view was actually a really good way of constructing these characters. So in another game that I'm making or like working on as a consultant, I, yeah, we, we're really focused on that the, the actual um, love interest have agency. So they can turn you down. You know, if you are an asshole or, you know, you're just like, if you say the wrong thing here, if you do the wrong action there, they will basically get locked out mm-hmm. uh, and they will have different conditions and stuff. And it's also the, the guy who sort of runs it all. Um, he always says he has an anti-simping rule. <laughs> Uh, which is like you shouldn't just be able to say to someone like oh your dress is really pretty or like oh you know I'll do anything for you yes I'll look after your 30 cats for like two weeks whatever because you know that's going to lead to the romance right he hates that and and I kind of I agree with him I think that you need to treat people like people so in one case in one scene there's like a there's a big argument between you and your friend your friend's done something quite bad um one of the potential love interests uh, doesn't see it as bad and you kind of can get quite combative with her and basically kind of snap at her and like have a go at her for, for not understanding why it's bad. Now normally you would think in a normal game you'd be like oh okay well that's you know, my chances of her are non-existent now. Actually she kind of respects you for it later on. She's kind of like no I'm glad you stuck up for yourself there because actually I was in the wrong. Uh, you, you gave me a different perspective there. Thanks for doing that. So it's that kind of surprising element to, to romance, right? It's that kind of, again, people are people. They all act differently. They all have different turn-ons. They all have different turn-offs. And that's how I think you can, if you just recognize that, and you t- and it's hard work and you have to balance it, it takes time, but if you're able to, that's really going to enhance the romance elements to your games. Put things in there that are surprising. Because, again, we're surprising as people, right? All humans are unpredictable. And just when it comes to stuff like archetypes, use them by all means, especially in the beginning. What I mean by that is when you're first introducing your cast of characters, I generally find it's good to have archetypes. You need people, in order to get on board with them, you need people to be able to go like, ah, so this guy's the Joker. This woman's the the the, um, the business person, the person who's all like, Rah. and this person's blah, 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 and this person's blah, blah, blah. You need people to, because that kind of like grounds them, I found. If you try and throw 10 nuanced characters at them immediately, 
they I find people players generally don't know what to do with that. They they kind of they can't figure the character out. If you have them grounded in a reality, you can then build the nuance on top of that. Mm-hmm. You then make them more than what they appear. Iron Ball, once again, classic example of this, right? He's a big, beefy, Quinarian, like, mercenary guy, right? He's just big and angry. And then the more you know him, the more you realize, actually, he's, he's got a really good sense of humor. He's actually, he deeply cares about his company. He, he might joke about throwing them to the wolves, but actually he would never do that. And when something similar to, like, to that happens, it really messes him up. That's how I find you, you, you kind of capture the player's interest. And then when they're interested in the character, there's no point trying to make all the characters super fleshed out off the bat. Because people don't know who they care about. If you don't care about Iron Ball, you're not going to see his content. And that's fine. Because you're probably going to like at least one of the other characters and you're going to want to spend time with them and that's how the content's going to come out at you. So to answer the question, like that Liliana romance is really good because of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking when you're describing the archetypes, that's something that I love to focus on with our analysis of the characters is what tropes were utilized to help. Because, and not just tropes, but even just the facets about who they are, what, how they look, what they sound like to mm-hmm. be a sh- sort of shorthand to communicate who they are as people. Because you can't, you don't know them from birth. Like you really have to figure yeah. out who they are quickly in a game. And that's something they did like with Zevran and Sarah, both of their accents are kind of that way. Yeah. Like Zevran's vaguely Hispanic accent is like, he's a Latin lover. Like he's, he was raised yeah. in a whorehouse, you know, like he's, very good at sex right <laughs> and then sarah even though she in inquisition she's an elf and most elves starting in dragon age 2 have like this vague irish accent but sarah has this and then she comes along like, oh, accent. yeah she's like midlands england and no she's to, she's bad like, cockney a bad cockney oh, yeah the actress is from is it derbyshire derbyshire I don't yeah know i think, I think <laughs> sorry I, I've always, I mean, I don't know this off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Sarah, I never could play with Sarah. <laughs> oh, no. She's I kind of insufferable I can't to me. Her accent. <laughs> uh, I think that's also, as a British person, like, you, you, it's like when you hear, like, a British person doing an American accent. Because uh, I have this with my wife all the time. We watch, like, a lot of Poirot. We watch a lot of, like, Miss Marple. And mm-hmm. they always get British actors to do Americans. And it's god awful because I can hear it now as well. And they're like, Howdy! Like, oh God! Well, oh. Anyway, and that's kind of the same. That's kind of the same thing I had with Sarah, where it was just like, it yeah. sounds like a, a person who's very eloquent, who's got a very well-spoken voice, trying to do East End London, and you're like, mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently her accent was supposed to convey that she is not upper crust at all. She is just completely not related to her race her as roots. elves. Yeah. Yeah. And then she's just like, I also hate nobles, so I'm gonna sound like the most anti noble person in the entire world. But I I think Bioware does a great job at doing that without being too stereotypy normally. Yeah. But yeah, that's just yeah, thinking I mean, about that when you're talking. It's it is that thing of I kind of so in this talk I gave I had like harmful tropes to be aware of. I never said not to do because if you eliminate all these tropes, you're eliminating, well, like, what makes people people. But the reason I say to be aware of is because, like, if you are going to do this, you need to be aware that that's what you're doing and you need to treat it right. So I have, like, the plot device. This one I actually would, now I've just said that, I actually caveat. I think this one you don't do. But the plot device is a character whose sexuality is switched up for for plot reasons and then forgot about soon after. It's kind of like the Anders thing where, yeah, it's like, here you go. They're, they're now bi, they're now gay, they're lesbian. 
actually, no, they're not. Forget that. Or then you have the deviant, which is bisexual characters, especially men, are often depicted as untrustworthy and always scheming. Now, again, that's not to say that you can't have these characters. You just have to be aware that there is a negative trope of that, that bi men are bi because it helps them manipulate people. The mercenary, characters whose relationships are purely for them to gain something of value rather than out of interest to their partner. Again, have those characters if you want. Just be aware that that is another stereotype. The depressed. Life as a bisexual person just sucks. Ugh, I'm so angst-ridden all the time. Hate life. Get it. You know, the bisexual fatigue is real, but come on, there's other stories to tell. The confused. Maybe they're just trying to find out who they want to be with and will soon snap out of this phase. Got that one a lot. Never. No, no. Yep. And then the erased, which is tied into all of these, a bisexual person's sexuality is slowly written out of life. They either pick a side or they forget about it. So it's that kind of thing of like, you know, in a show, you've got a bi character and you're like, oh, cool, representation. And then they're like, actually, I'm straight now. And you're like, oh, or like their, their, their sexuality is only ever mentioned on the peripheral. So you have like a bisexual character who's got a boyfriend. You never see the boyfriend. They just talk about it. But it's never like you never can have like that moment of like homoerotic love on screen of two men kissing or something. Right. Yeah. Those are the things you have to be aware of when you're, when you're coming up with these characters. I guess this would be put out to anyone who's writing, say, a visual novel or a dating sim or whatever, who wants to be inclusive, who wants to have trans characters, non-binary characters, whatever. Like, I always believe that you don't have to belong to a community to write about that community. You have to be aware of that's what you're doing, though. And you have to, at the very least, talk to people from that community and, and get their input if, if you're, you know, an indie solo dev, whatever, right? But if you don't feel like you're confident enough to do it, or to do it well, or you think you've done it, talk, again, hire actual professionals, like, if you can, or at least find people in that community to talk to about it, because, like, there's that classic thing of, like, you you think you've written a really good bi story, and then some bi people play it, and they're like, this this is, like, the most stereotypical, awful piece of crap you could have given me. This is offensive, right? It's because you probably just didn't even show anyone the content, uh, and that's how you get kind of tripped up. So, again, I'm, I'm well in favor of people writing bi sexual characters obviously and i don't think they have to be by themselves because like otherwise it just falls onto that person it just falls onto by people to constantly be talking about themselves which you know we might not always want to do although that's never been the case for me please 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 qa it essentially treat mm -hmm. it like you would any coding don't trust it to be flawless because <laughs> i guarantee you it won't and it's not a failure on your part it's just how games work once again why all facets of game development should have diverse teams working on them more likely to catch those things if lots of different people are looking at it yeah what's kind of nice is you learn through osmosis i've worked extensively now with with diverse teams of all races genders sexualities and you really start to uncover your own unconscious biases very early on especially you might accidentally write an offensive joke that you don't realize is offensive and then someone on the team goes hmm and they explain to you why that's bad if you're if you're forward thinking you block that away and you go okay i've got to remember that but we also were lucky enough that we could hire sensitivity readers from different backgrounds and different specialties. Because you can't just trust that someone who can do sensitivity reading for, I don't know, like Mexican relations and whatnot uh, to do with like the, the cultural romance aspects can also tell you about the sensitivity of like your trans characters, right? You, you've got to actually find people who know the subject matter. So by having that for the last few years has really uh, kind of given me the ability when I, when I jump in on a team's project to kind of go 
ah, you may want to rethink this because X, Y, Z. And what you find is a lot of the time it's never done maliciously. It's just people have unconscious biases, especially people of privilege, like straight white men. They just don't have to experience a lot of what people that fall outside of that purview do. And so they don't realize why this joke written in the 80s by a similar straight white man is actually bad. I had no idea that the sensitivity readers were a thing. That's, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. The thing is as well, like, you can find them, they have whole agencies, right? So I think one that we looked at at one point was, um, and I keep saying trans because it's the one that always comes to my mind, was because there was like an entire trans uh, sensitivity team, essentially. They, they had their own company and other creative outlets would hire them to come in and read their work if they had a trans character, but not just to read. Often you also, if you again, if you can afford it, you want to have them as a consultant. You want them on the whole process. Because the worst thing, it's that thing of like, ah, I've got a sensitivity reader and we've brought her in at the end. Uh, and I only say her because I, I'm thinking of one of my friends who does this. Her kind of sensitivity reading is about essentially like racist tropes, right? So, you know, she's mixed race. You know, she's reading some work and she's like, oh, hey, do you realize you've written like how to do uh, colonialism? Like, do you realize that these people you've, you've based uh, are basically what happened to Africa? But at that point, it's really late in the process, right? You've, you've written the whole thing. And so often what happens is they go, ah, Fuck. we've heard this. <laughs> no, no, not even that. They just go, ah, we've heard what you said. We're not going to change it because we physically can't at this point. And we also probably don't care. So these resources exist, right? When it comes to sensitivity readers, if you are starting a creative project like a game or a book or anything, really, get them in early. If your story delves into a life that isn't inherently to do with you, and even if it is, because again, you can't write for your whole community, get people who have this, who are professionals, who are trained in this, who know how to give the feedback correctly and know what to look out for. Get them on board early. If you're, if you're plotting out a story, get them in. And they will help you avoid those pitfalls because honestly, it will save you a lot more money in the long run if that's your concern. Because if you've already written the story, if you've coded the game, if you've put the art in and then you get the sensitivity checkers in, what are they realistically going to do? Help you prepare your statement. Your apologies. People get mad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we were aware of these issues. We just then didn't fix themselves. Keep playing our game. <laughs> yeah. This blew by. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, do you have any last thoughts or where people can find you? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll plug myself. Yeah. So yeah, I'm Ben Sabin. You can follow me on Twitter at Benjamin underscore Sabin. That's where you're mostly going to see me because I am bad at social media and I only have the brain energy for one. I don't have Instagram or anything like that. So yeah. And you can also like, you can go on my website, which is just bensabin.com if you want to like know more about me and look at the games I've made and then maybe talk to me about hiring me because again, I'm freelance and I'm always in for the grift. <laughs> that, that's me. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today, Ben. And thanks for having me on. It's been really lovely. Uh, I always enjoy chatting to people, especially if I just get to shout out there about being bi. <laughs> yeah, I'm, and you know, if you ever want me back on for anything, like I'm always happy to reach out to me. I'm very flexible in terms of that kind of stuff. We do love reach and flexibility. Thanks, Karis. I'll fit that in somehow every time. Oh gosh, that's our second motto for the show. Right? Reach and flexibility. We shall. We we will. It would be so fun in the future. Of course, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye. <gasps> oh my gosh, that was amazing. Yeah.
It always is. It is. Mm. <laughs> I also love that we can always sneak in a Garrus line in there somehow. <laughs> I was just, when I started hearing him say reach and flexibility, I was like, mm-hmm. she's going to do it if I don't. <laughs> you got to it first. <laughs> we talked about so many good things. You know, and it, we started off with a lot of the game design. And I think that that's a very critical part of this conversation is the, you know, we talked so much about how being bi can't be the main point of the topic because that's not, that's not your, I am the one thing and this is my one thing that I am. So learning about the different games, I even wrote down like four different notes for, from this one because I'm like, all right, now apparently I need to go find a game called Dream Daddy. And yeah, I know he barely <laughs> mentioned that and I was like, wait, what? Dream Daddy? Please explain. <laughs> <laughs> and then Boyfriend Dungeon. I mm-hmm. I have it installed. I just haven't played it yet. But and I've heard so many good things about it. And so I'm excited to play that one. And then Odyssey. I have not played oh, that Assassin's one. Creed Odyssey. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I was like, I haven't even heard of that game. But yeah, it's an I, AC game. I did play that it. Makes sense. But I didn't finish it and uh, completely missed out on all the romance. So when he started talking about an 80 year old woman, I was like, hold up, I'm Googling this after this interview when I have a moment. That is something I don't remember from that game. I think overall, it's a positive outlook. We're going in the right direction. We've had a lot of great foundations laid, mainly by Bioware. Seems to be the common theme Mm -hmm. in these interviews. Thanks to that work, it's born another generation of video game developers, narrative designers who are trying to get closer to a more authentic human and love experience in video games. Yeah. Who knows what the next 10 years will hold. So many amazing graphics and love scenes and oh my gosh, mundane moments and just long-term relationships. Give me one of those. Yeah, I'm already just in awe over the detail in Horizon Forbidden West. I have a PS5, that's how I'm playing it. And just subtle eye movements, facial expressions, wrinkles on their face when they smile or raise their eyebrows, the textures on their clothes, you can see wrinkles on their clothes. It's oh. so amazing. <laughs> like, I'm losing my mind. It's all I wanted as a little girl was a game that looks real. We are very, very, very close to that. We're practically there in some aspects. Well, V, I think that's all the time that you and I have for today. So, if you like what you're hearing, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes or give us a rating on Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me in our Two Girls, One Ship chat on the Robots Radio Discord channel, and come give us a follow on all the social medias, and on Patreon at Two Girls, One Ship. Links to those are in the description. I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well, and also be sure to check out our live stream on Twitch and YouTube on Fridays at 10.30pm Eastern Time, 7.30pm Pacific Time. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. Check out the description for all links if you're interested. Thanks for listening, and remember... Beauty is in the eye of the controller. Are you a fan of Elden Ring? Are you confused about the lore as pretty much everyone else? We've got you covered. Check out the Elden Archives, a lore podcast that helps to explain every little confusing detail about the lands between. 
things like what exactly happened on the Night of the Black Knives, or what we really know about characters like Nicola. Just like the show you're listening to now, we're on the Robots Radio Network, so you know it'll be good. Wondering how to find the show? Easy. Either go to robotsradio.net or search Elden Archives on whatever podcatcher you're using right now. Bookmark the show for later, and we'll see you in the lands between. Again, that's the Elden Archives, from Soft Lorecast, available everywhere. <laughs>